It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're halfway through the week and there's a general mood of optimism out there as we prepare for another thrilling Prime Minister's questions and, of course, the next England game tomorrow in the World Cup. Today, we're talking to Nick Bowles, MP, about why the Prime Minister isn't flying the flag of St George up and down Whitehall. He wants her to do it and he's going to be asking her in Prime Minister's questions why she's not doing it. Daisy McAndrews back and we're talking to comedian and former Dr Adam Kay on the problem with working long hours. A new study shows that the lengthy shifts doctors are forced to do turn them literally into zombies and they'd have better levels of concentration if they were actually drinking alcohol. It's a shocking story. 0344 499 1000. Later on, we'll be asking whether people who don't have children should be labelled as selfish because they're not doing their patriotic duty and raising the birth rate. And we'll find out why the Justice Minister wants to stop sending people to prison. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You, you yourself had many examples of of being too tired to work properly in a way, as in, you know, really, it was not a good idea for you to continue to work. That's that's undeniably true. Um, if you're working a 16-hour shift, whatever your profession, you'll be better at hour one than hour 16. And there were times when... Uh, I would just sort of, I felt like I was in an episode of Quantum Leap or something. I'd work out and it'd take me a while to establish where I would be asleep in the you know, front seat of my car. Or um, There was one time, in fact, it was Christmas morning, uh, that, that, that I woke up in my car and I just, uh, I'd failed to go home. I just sort of got into my car in the hospital car park, fell asleep and woke up the next morning. Because in fact, we've had stories about that as well, with lots of nurses and doctors saying that they feel it's unsafe for them to drive home because yeah. they're so tired, I'm they sure think they true. might crash their cars. It, isn't, it's, it puts you in a very in a basically impossible position when you're on the front line because you want to do your very best and you know that if you go home or sort of leave when you think you, you, you should or when your contract says, that, that's best for you. But 
but for the patients, there need to be people on the wards. But and wouldn't it be better, though, if there was actually a regulation which had to be adhered to, a little bit like long-distance lorry drivers? You know, they may feel like they can do work more uh, than, than they are supposedly legally able to do, but in fact, they might end up crashing their lorry because they've fallen asleep. Surely the NHS should have a similar rule and say to doctors, you can't work any longer than 12 hours. And even if there is some problem that you want to stay around and help out with, you can't because you will be putting that patient at risk. Sure, I, I, I think there's an extremely strong uh, case for that. In fact, there is the European Working Time Directive, which, uh, which limits the number of hours that you can work a week, and doctors uh, have had to opt out of that directive so the hospitals can keep going. You're exactly right. If you're, if you're working in the administration department of a hospital, there'll be hours that you have to um, adhere to as to you know, taking half an hour break every X hours of sitting at a computer mm. screen. But if you're, um, if you're working on the wards downstairs operating, you can be going for, you know, six hours straight without so much as having a you know, bathroom break or a, a sip and of water. Adam, can I just ask you, because one of the things I felt from reading your book is obviously there's the politics of the NHS and there's the funding of the NHS, which comes from Whitehall. But then there's the actual running of the NHS and running of individual hospitals. And certainly my impression from your book um, was that they were, you know, many of them were run very badly and there was a uh, that there wasn't necessarily the support higher up in the hospital for you know the more junior doctors and that the sort of difference in the consultants weren't very sympathetic. They were sort of, well, I've done it, I've got the T-shirt and you can do it too, which seems like a very unhelpful attitude. And in today's newspaper, there's a quote from a consultant called Kevin O'Kane who basically says exactly that and says, oh, it gets easier as you get older and I don't want to be held hostage to a junior doctor you know who kind of, he was implying, can't be bothered to do it. And, I, and that, to me, ringed an echo of what you had written about where this rather unhelpful attitude i think it's it's become harder than ever to be a consultant because you know if you're at the top of the tree and there are five people missing who are meant to be doing their jobs then you you know the days of being on the golf course are <laughs> over you you have to muck in everyone is is everyone is is mucking in um uh, our hospital sort of maddening places of infinite bureaucracy yes they are but I do believe that whatever role you work in in a hospital, whether you're, you know, whether you're a porter, whether you're a doctor, nurse, physio or management, everyone is doing their best to make it work. And the, the point where I have the, the problem is, is higher up than the individual hospitals. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking when the NHS can become a political, you know, football. And, you know, I understand where the MPs are coming from. They've got to think about their jobs in five years' time, but it's, you know, the NHS often gets described as a national religion, and it's, I think it's the most important single asset we have, and we need to do everything we can to, to help it, because the NHS is not buildings and CT scans. The NHS is the million and a half people who work there under increasingly impossible conditions. And, and uh, Is that why and you left, Adam, because of the increasingly impossible conditions? I actually left... Um, Eight years ago, and I had a terrible day at work. Um, so I worked on labour wards. I was the most senior doctor on the wards, and all you ever want is a healthy mum and a healthy baby. And it was one of these terrible situations from no one's fault that happens every so often, where uh, I ended up with with neither. And I just realised I didn't have the, you know, emotional exoskeleton to deal with it. But interestingly, when I left. I was a glitch in the matrix. No one left medicine. I was the first or second from my cohort of hundreds and hundreds of doctors to have left. Today, I can barely look on social media without seeing 
hard-working doctors who are just at absolute breaking point, moving to Australia, moving to Canada, working in the city, working in pharmaceutical companies. It's now increasingly normal because of these because of these strains. But it's also, Adam, isn't it, it's not just the strains, because you yourself have said about your experience that really you should have, that there was a code of silence when things like that, you know, when a, when a, the death of a baby or a similar tragedy happens and that you should have had counselling and you should have been better looked after. And I'm guessing that's the same for, you know, maybe not all doctors have such a terrible experience that that's why they leave, but, you know, I'm guessing that's across the board that everybody needs a bit more to support to help them stay in the NHS. I, I agree 100%. I think it's very easy to forget that doctors are humans. And you don't want to think of your doctors being too human because they're the person who's interpreting yeah. the MRI mm-hmm. of your brain. You want them to be absolutely unimpeachably correct. But the truth of it is that we're just, not, you know, we're just a random 18-year-old who's stuck a cross next to medicine on a UCAS form. People who get sick, people who get sad, people who make mistakes... And um, we need to sort of look after each other a bit better. There's the old-fashioned attitudes in medicine as, you know, we're bloody doctors and we'll bloody get on with it and mm. stiff upper lip and stiff drink. But actually, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And, and what's your you know, experience, sort of, Adam, of why most people go into it? Is it, it, is it just somebody ticking a box on, on an ACAS form? Surely it's more kind of... Um, uh, vocational. Vocational than that. Most people who okay, want to go into medicine want to go in because they want to help people, don't they? That's the thing. So that you drive home three hours late or 12 hours late and sort of, and you're absolutely exhausted and you're splattered in blood and the, you've wound the window down in the car and the radio's blowing just to stay awake. But you have a smile on your face because you, you've got that non-specific feeling of doing a good thing. You've been useful. You've done something. You know, what can be more rewarding than working on labour ward, infertility clinic, which are the places um, I worked in? And, and that's why you go into it in the first place. And my diaries were published in response to um, the junior doctor strike that you'll remember from a couple of years ago, because the government were putting out, you know, who have a very loud voice compared to doctors, because doctors are, you know, work 100 hours a week, um, were sort of putting out the idea that doctors were being greedy, that they were in it for the wrong reasons. And I just, it's not a political book I've written, it just presents at the other side, you know, some extra data. But Adam, at that... the back of your book, you wrote an open, a very impassioned open letter to Jeremy Hunt, uh, didn't you, saying, you know, uh, a sort of call to arms. And I know a lot of your readers sent the book to Jeremy Hunt and then he got in touch with you, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, he basically got in touch to say, and I paraphrase, if you come and meet me, will people stop sending me this stupid book? <laughs> and so I... You know, I I, I, I did meet him, and I think it's fair to say we have, uh, you know, different opinions on uh, on how um, <laughs> on how he's been doing his job. But did, did you get any sense that he was actually there to listen to you, or was he just trying to shut you down? No, I, I honestly thought meeting him that he he thought he could persuade me that he was right all along, and so we talked about the junior doctor crisis, and he said, you know. Um, it was uh, it was the, one of the lowest points in his his life, and he, he was very he was very impassioned about it, and and said he really regrets what happened, and he there's not a day goes by that he doesn't think about it. So I said, oh, what would you do differently um, next time? Can't ask a politician that they'll never they'll they'll yeah. never say they'll do anything different. <laughs> no, he said, oh no no no, I did it fine. I was obviously good. Um, and but he was he's a very clever man. There's no getting around that. We we disagree. Politically, I suspect, but he's very bright and he's been very political. And there was one point I asked him a question, I think it was about private medicine or something. And then he suddenly, he just snapped and said, well, this is, 
this feels like an interrogation. I wasn't here to be interviewed. I thought it'd be a nice chat. So it was all very, mm. very frosty for the rest of the interview. And at the end, you know, no one likes to sort of bad, you know, air But that's in the, the trouble, isn't it, now? We now live in this kind of world where everything is polarised and nobody can actually have a conversation anymore. It all has to be sort of, you know, random shouting and finger-pointing and, and sloganising, unfortunately, because you're yeah. either, you know, for the NHS or you're against it. I don't think anybody in this country <laughs> is against the NHS. I don't think anybody wants to, you know, privatise it or, or break it down well, into its component a parts. People, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. Lots of people think, you know, why am I paying for for poor people to have their, you know? I don't know anyone really that thinks like that, to be honest. And I mean, I talk to people. I probably get a lot more um, mail than you do about. Well, you may well do. You may you may well do, but I mean, I really don't think, aside from the fact that some people uh, don't like the idea that they have to wait in line to get something uh, which they should feel they should they feel that they can get privately much quicker, which is a mistake. I think it's one of the problems that the system provides for us all. Um, I don't think anybody wants to, to sell it off or break it down or do anything like that. But, you know, unfortunately, we are politicising it every time we mention anything like that. I think, personally, the NHS should be taken out of politics completely and that big funding decisions, the complicated, awkward decisions that politicians here today, gone tomorrow, politicians don't want to make, should be cross-parliamentary, yeah. cross-party, 10, 20, 30-year decisions because the NHS is 70 years old, as you know, this year. And if it's to see another 10, let alone another 70, we need a big grown-up conversation about if we want it to continue as a country. And if we do, we need to put our hands in our pockets. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Adam, thank you very much indeed. Adam Kay, uh, former doctor, of course, uh, now writer uh, and campaigner, I suppose you might say, for the future of the NHS. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Nicholas, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. You've got a campaign uh, to make sure that the uh, flag of St. George is flown uh, with some enthusiasm from some public buildings and possibly even maybe uh, from Downing Street. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I think that there's a, there's a weird thing with uh, England and Englishness and the St. George's flag, yeah. which is that somehow, for some reason, 
uh, we've become embarrassed about it. And I remember being really shocked on St George's Day earlier this year when I was on a bus going through Parliament Square on the way to work. And apart from the Supreme Court, which uh, to their great credit was flying a, a St George's flag alongside the Union Jack, mm. uh, no other public building was flying the St George's flag. You know, the Treasury wasn't, the Foreign Office wasn't, Parliament wasn't. Uh, and we sort of allowed ourselves to become apologetic about it. And I think that this World Cup, where we've got this fantastic team of very young, very diverse, gives us an opportunity to sort of reclaim the flag uh, and actually all of us be proud of it and get behind our team as they go through the, the playoffs. I mean, you're not going to find some Jobsworth who's going to tell you, oh, it's not possible to fly the St George's flag from government buildings because, you know, the government buildings can only flag a union flag. I mean, surely they can make an exception for the World Cup. Well, you would hope. You would certainly hope. And I'm, I'm hoping straight after this call, I'm going to go into the chamber and, and hope to get called the Prime Minister's questions later. And I'll be asking the Prime Minister if he can you know, send out guidance saying, actually, this is fine. And it, for the next you know, week or two, you know, let, please, God, as long as possible, um, uh, let's fly the St George's flag from, from buildings. You know, alongside the Union Jack, if, if, if it's, an, if it's a, a particular organisation that likes to fly the Union Jack, there's no reason why you can't have two flags up there. Uh, but I just think it would be a really good way of reclaiming that English identity. You know, you go to Scotland... And the place is absolutely rich. Oh, there's loads of Scottish flags, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And they don't see any, you know, any reason to be embarrassed about it. So I think, well, let's do the same. So, Nick, what are the buildings specifically that you want um, to do? Is this basically any building with a flagpole? I think so. I mean, I I think one shouldn't be too too, too, um, sort of demanding about this. I mean, I'd like the the central government departments all to be, you know, required to to, to fly. You know, the Prime Minister can just tell them what to do. But then with other public buildings, whether it's courts and police stations and town halls, um, you know, it should be up to them. But I think it would be good to have a very strong steer from the top that this is something that, you know, we want to encourage uh, and that they should feel confident about doing. I think oftentimes... You know, people feel, oh, gosh, they'll be accused of being jingoistic mm. or racist or some nonsense like that. And Which I think is we mad, need to, to reclaim it, you know. There was a really interesting interview with Gareth Southgate yesterday in which he said that he hoped that this young, diverse team could help people connect with, um, you know, a modern English identity. Uh, and I think he's exactly right. This is a real opportunity, just like the Olympics was for, for British Yeah. You know, we all got behind Britishness and the Union Jack during the Olympics. I think this is an opportunity to do the same for England. Sure. And God knows there's enough of devices at the moment. <laughs> It'd be quite nice if, you know, leavers and remainers, old and young, white and black, we could all get behind the English team. Well, indeed. And, I mean, the other funny thing is, for me, uh, because a couple of weeks ago, just before the World Cup started, I was saying there's very, very few cars you see driving around with the Union, uh, sorry, yeah. with, uh, with the flag of St George on, you know, compared to, for example, the last World Cup. And I think part of that was, was that they weren't too sure about England. But now having seen how good they are, uh, there's more flags out there now. I'm seeing more and more of them sort of almost every day. I think that's right. I think that's right. And there's a slight sense of, oh, gosh, is it really worth it this time? Do I want to get my hopes up? I actually... I mean, I'm a bit like uh, a bit, 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 bit like you. I'm a, I'm a tournament supporter, and this year, for the first time in my life, I'm 52. I didn't watch the um, qualification round because I didn't want to put myself through it. I yeah. just couldn't bear it. Um, well, and it's so not very, I've it's not very entertaining. You haven't missed much, I'm afraid, Nicholas. Well, exactly. But now I've come to the group stage, and I can't. I'm stunned. You know, I just think it's fantastic that we've really got. 
You know, we've got a serious team who are focused on the job in hand. They're not arrogant and they're not flash and they're not showing off. Uh, and I think Gareth Southgate is a real example. So I hope this is a time when everybody can unite around uh, support yeah. for England. And Nick, Nick, specifically on your idea of more flags, I mean, I remember a week, or, in fact, I think it was just when the World Cup had started, there was a story that the Royal Mail um, had told yeah. its drivers that they couldn't yes. have flags because and they, and they dressed issue. it up as elf and safety. Yeah. But, but, you know, right. everyone thought it was probably because you know, more of a sort of PC thing. So I suppose it's actually, it's reaching those institutions and organisations and, and companies and saying, actually, it's okay if you want to do this. You're not going to be accused of being, you know, a far-right organisation. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think we can all understand why emergency vehicles probably shouldn't fly flags because, you know, we wouldn't want anything to happen that, that, that somehow interrupted them. But otherwise, you know, posters can be their best judge of, you know, where they could safely fly a flag if they want to on their van without, you know, in any way interrupting their field of vision. And I think that there was a, you did get a slight sense that it was a sort of job's worth making up rules for the sake <laughs> of them. And, and, I, and I hope we don't get that with government offices uh, with this, you know, with this campaign, because there's, there's no good reason at all why anybody who's got a flagpole shouldn't put up a St George's Cross if they want to for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And Nick, do you know what your um, Labour colleague Emily Thornbury thinks of this idea? <laughs> well, I have I have wondered when uh, I did a did interview this morning on uh, Good Morning Britain, and they were looking for somebody to to discuss it with me. And I did suggest that Emily might be invited. We, we might Not have sure to re- remind. Would... You have to wake her up first, wouldn't you? We, yeah, I, we rem- should remind people. That, so a few <laughs> years ago, she. Um, when the Rochester by-election was yeah. going on, I think it was, and she tweeted a photograph of a, uh, of a house which was covered in St George's flags and had a white van um, outside it. Uh, and, and it was the sort of Twitter version of a raised eyebrow. Yes, yeah, so um, it was a sort of... She was suggesting it wasn't classy. Yeah. No, exactly right. Let us, just before we let you go, Nicholas, ask you about uh, the big story of the, of the year, of course, which is Brexit, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, Business Secretary setting out his vision for the softest possible Brexit, according to the Times this morning. Um, and Boris Johnson saying business uh, can get stuffed, or words to that effect. Uh, where are you on the whole Brexit issue? I mean, you were, I think, a, a Remainer. What do you, what do you want yes. to see happening? Um, I mean, I was a Remainer, um, but I, you know, ever since the vote, I've been absolutely in no doubt that we need to leave and all this nonsense about a second referendum, you know, that we shouldn't have any of that. Uh, but we do need to have a Brexit that works for everyone, and that means works for British manufacturers and British exporters. Uh, and if that means, you know, compromising in some areas, having longer transition periods, you know, having some... I mean, I don't really understand all this stuff, but having a customs arrangement that, you know, enables us to, to, to continue to operate without erecting a border in, in Ireland, then absolutely I want to, to I want to see us do that. And I think, you know, Conservative MPs and in particular Conservative Cabinet members should just, you know, shut their traps, support <laughs> the Prime Minister, discuss it in private. If they have differences, that's fine. But resolve them in private, allow the Prime Minister to set a line and then back it. And I'm slightly fed up and so are lots of other Conservative MPs yeah. with all of this sort of freelancing. Well, so is everybody else in the, in the country, I think. And where, where are you on the old uh, Brexit singing uh, going on, which may happen tomorrow at the Belgium game? Apparently FIFA have told the England fans not to sing about Brexit uh, for fear of causing offence and making football <laughs> political, which I think we, we were having some great Brexit song suggestions yesterday, uh, <laughs> such as it's coming home, it's coming home, sovereignty's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I must say, I, I guess I'm, I prefer to stick to the original version of, <laughs> of what I was, you know, has become the defining yes, anthem indeed. of English football. And I think the original version can't be improved upon. So uh, I'll be sticking with that one. Myself. OK, brilliant. Well, good luck getting your question in, uh, Nicholas, this yeah. afternoon. Thank you very much indeed. Nicholas Bowles, MP, uh, who's hoping to get his question in at Prime Minister's Questions, which gets underway in about an hour's time. I didn't have time to ask him because I'm sure there must be a trick to it. Uh, how do you actually catch the eye of the speaker and manage to make sure that uh, that he picks you? Oh, well, it's it's normally done on sort of Muggins turn. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't been done or if you've got something very specific to that day. Can you sort of put your um, your request in sort of early to the speaker and say, oh, I'll be I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, really, you really can, keen. You, you can tip them off. Yeah. yeah so you know, um, like I think he's probably buy you a large one in the bar afterwards yeah, or something. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes. Well, we shall keep an eye on that and see if Mr. Bowles is able to ask the question. He wants to see a load of flags flying in Whitehall uh, and elsewhere. I don't see why not, frankly? 0344 499 1000. Well, let's talk now, though, to Alistair Curry because a very unusual story came in from Japan, funnily enough, and it's not uh, that uh, we are not in any way linked to Japan, um, but a Japanese minister has basically come out and said to the Japanese who have got a very low birth rate, I think fewer than a million uh, babies were born there last year. Uh, which is the lowest since 1899. Yeah, which is very, very low indeed. Um, and, and basically he has come out and said to people, you know, if you're not having children, uh, you're basically being unpatriotic which is a fascinating kind of uh, statement to make it, uh, yeah. of, its, of its kind. Obviously, culturally, we're very different uh, from Japan. But I wondered, because we don't have a, a massive birth rate here. It's a declining birth rate. One of the things we're always told is we need more immigration in order to kind of get people in to pay for the elderly in, yes, in and many I think, ways. You, know, you often hear people saying, oh, you know, people should stop having so many babies and that's the selfish thing to do. But actually, you know, many experts say with our ageing demographic, somebody's got to be somebody's got to be earning money so that the Treasury can take the taxes so that the government can pay for the social care and the NHS care right. um, for the elderly population. I mean, that's sort of, you know, the, the basic economics of it. But of course, people, when people see an overcrowded hospital, they think, well, we want fewer immigrants or fewer babies rather than more. Yes. So you, what and you I mean, see you, with your eyes isn't necessarily what, no, you're, what you're being told if you, I mean, head. if you were walking anywhere near Waterloo Station last night, you would not have said we, what we need is more people in the country. Let's talk to Alistair Curry, though, head of campaigns at Population Matters. Alistair, very good morning to you. Good morning. It's an unusual thing to have said for a politician, and I, and, and I know that in Japan they have maybe a slightly different way of dealing with these types of things. But, I mean, as, as a kind of, as a general principle... Um, is it acceptable to say that you should be having more children in order to sort of safeguard the future of, of, of your parents almost? Uh, I, well, as a general principle, essentially, the more people we put on the planet, the more pressure we put on the planet. And we're in environmental crisis right, right, right. right now. Mm. We're in a situation where climate change is zooming up, where scientists are talking about the sixth mass extinction of species on, on the planet. We all know about plastic pollution, all these other kinds of things. Yeah. Each one of us born adds more pressure and makes it more difficult to solve those problems. We're all better off. We're certainly all better off if we can get climate change under control as soon as possible and dealing with all those other things. So, you know, we can talk in a minute about the issue of looking after old people. Yeah. We also need to be thinking about looking after our children's future. Sure. And I mean, our is children's it... future means getting our, our, our environmental crisis under control first. That's I mean, is got it... to be the priority. Is it environment versus economics, then, in that case? Because clearly what uh, the Japanese minister, uh, Toshihiro Nikai, was saying, uh, basically was was that you know if we don't have enough children uh, we can't generate enough wealth uh, and collect enough taxes effectively to do the things we want to do 
Well, they're, they're, the question of, of, of looking after old people, and it's always worth remembering, of course, that children are dependents too, yeah. you know, that we need to educate and provide health care for, uh, for children. Um, but, but the issue with old people is you can't solve the problem of old people by adding more young people because those young people get old. Right. You're just in an endless spiral of increasing numbers when you do that. Mm. Instead, our question is, for Japan, for here, for anywhere, well, what are our priorities? What do we want to be spending our money on? If old people need 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 care and, and need help, then then perhaps we should be saying, well, that's important enough that we should be paying a little bit more tax. Rather mm. than increasing the number of taxpayers, perhaps we should be increasing more tax. The, uh, the, uh, and, you know, that's the question. Do we value it? Do we care? Or are we spending our money on something else which is, which is less important? So it's not a sustainable solution, and it's very far from the only solution. Would you go the opposite way, then? Would you recommend to people that they shouldn't have as many children? We definitely recommend to people that, that, that they should think about having smaller families, and that, and that includes going child-free for some people. I think, you know, when you speak to people who are, who are child-free, you get this sense that, this real sense from them that they just feel judged for making a choice which is a perfectly reasonable choice and yeah. actually a choice that helps other people. As, what, as one person I was speaking to recently was saying to me, she said, you know, I don't benefit from the choice not, you know, not to have children you know, long-term. It's other people's children who benefit from this because what I'm doing is, you know, is protecting the planet. I mean, of course, people have lots of reasons why they make that choice, but that's a choice they're perfectly entitled to make, and when they do, it does help other people. But as a, just, you, sorry, go, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but do you think that people understand what you very clearly just set out, which is there is a choice, and it is have more children or pay more tax? Uh, I don't think people necessarily... Well, it isn't necessarily a case of paying more tax, but, it, but it's a case of that's one option to solve the problem. So it's about when it's put to people as being as simple as we just need more people and we need to keep growing the economy in order to deal with things. You know, there is the, this question, do we need to keep growing the economy? Do we, not, do we need to have a, a sort of a more rational way? Uh, one of the things that's often talked about is people talk about GDP increasing all the time. Maybe it's more important to have GDP increasing per person. Not just putting more, if you put more people in the, in the country, and you talked about it yourself, Daisy, earlier on, you know, when people see hospital queues, you know, or when you go to Waterloo Station or, or all these places, people don't think, you know, there are too few people. No, uh, uh, no certainly no, not in the southeast of England, that's for sure. That, 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 that there are, very clearly. No, no, I totally agree with you that, but I think, you know, what people assume is that if there were fewer people, we'd need less money and we'd be able to pay less tax, and that isn't the truth because of the ageing population? Uh, well, I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicated picture because, of course, it does take pressure off um, services. But all these questions about, you know, about tax and services are very much questions about wh wh where do we put our priorities. They're, you know, they're complicated political questions, but they, you know, the underlying message is that simply adding more people, and usually adding more of anything, but simply adding more people is counterproductive. What, what is the average family size? Oh, it? it was always called 2.4 children. What, yeah, what is the average size now? Well, I mean, the uh, 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 fertility rate, which is uh, which is the technical term for sort of number of children born per woman, woman is about 1.8 at the moment. So if you look, and at is it, that up or down? Uh, it's actually it's it's bumped up and down a little bit over over the last 30 years. It's been fairly constant for the for the last. 10 years or so, there has been a slight increase recently, but it has been fairly constant for a while. The, the peak was actually my generation, the baby boomers, um, you know, uh, around about the time I was born. In fact, in 1963 was one of the highest birth rates we've had, and it's been coming down pretty uh. steadily since then. But it hasn't changed much recently. And as to, out of interest, are there figures for the average number of children per man? So I'm assuming that's higher, given that you know men can have... 
women, yeah, you know, babies with more than one woman. <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's not actually not many the, do. Um, you know, Loads do. You have. Based on that. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't realise I was the, you know, <laughs> the poster boy for fertility. Well, pretty, pretty much any any man that's had two families. As yeah. In, you know, yeah but, no, but that's quite Loads a small do. number of people. I mean, yeah. not, there's, it's not normal for people to have more than one marriage, is it? I mean, it's still normal for people to have one marriage, despite the fact that a lot of people get divorced. But have you got, Alistair, have you got a sort of a figure in mind of, 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 uh, of what you would like to see? I mean, I'm still quite uneasy about this, but I mean, would you like to see it go down to one, the average? Uh... I, it's it's difficult to put a number on. I think I think uh, we need less, and we have to be aware that in this country, you know, we are major emitters and have a major impact on the environment. Per capita, we produce far more, um, uh, you know, carbon emissions than, than most people. So we have a particular responsibility uh, where we're rich. I think you know our view is, you know, if, if you're thinking about it, think about think about having fewer. I think that across. It's, I mean, it's not just a, a, a you know a rich world que- uh, you know question about even though we have a, a bigger impact across the world we need to see uh, we need to see the numbers going down um, but we would certainly say you know if people were making a choice now to have a- any choice that involves having fewer children if it, you know if you have 21 children and you decide not to have a 22nd that's having the same positive impact on the world as if you have none right. and you decide not to have one mm. we would say to people just think uh, about about that choice. Okay. You know, it's not it's not a question of overall numbers. It's about the choices that we make right. individually. And if people do make that choice in a conscious, informed, and most important thing, voluntary way, no one's talking about forcing anyone. Then we will see those numbers coming down. We will see that family size coming down, and that's going to be positive for our environment. But it's also going to be positive for our quality of life here okay. as well. Fascinating stuff, Alistair. Thank you very much indeed, Alistair Curry, the head of campaigns at Population Matters. I, I find that quite a strange um, concept that you well, would tell people to have fewer children. You know, because of course in poorer countries, people have tend to have more children because some well, of them don't of survive. Lack of contraception is often partly is lack often of contraception, but also well. like for example, in, in you know centuries gone by, people had bigger families because they didn't expect all their children to survive. Yeah, and quite and, often they didn't. And I did find you know when he was saying that um, if you're about to have your twenty first child and you decide not to, and yeah. you're thinking about having your first child and you. That's for the to, Mick Jaggers of this world. It's exactly, it, it's the same thing. I mean, it's not the same thing in my mind because. I mean, one of the benefits of having children, both for you personally yeah. and for the state, yeah. is that the, that child, that child or children will, in some ways, look after yeah. you, maybe through their taxes, but you know, more often than not, physically looking yeah. after you. And single, uh, you know, elderly people with no children are more of a burden on the state. Yeah. They are, but by pure necessity, because sure. there are people, yeah. the state no, has listen. to step in and do that job. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear from some people on this. 03444991000. A Japanese minister has come out and basically said that not having children uh, is a bad thing because you're not doing your duty for the country uh, for the purposes of raising enough money to pay for the elderly. Uh, there are, our, 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 um, Alistair, our guest there, was more or less coming from a more environmental point of view, uh, which is not something I don't think that you and I would put at the very top of our priority list. I don't think we need to try and save the world by having fewer kids. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.